0: My name's Crystal. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you before, I have the joy and the privilege of um, being the campus pastor here at our Second Street campus. And um, I'm super excited to share with you guys tonight uh, as we continue in this revelation series um, that we find ourselves in. So I would love to start with prayer. Uh, if you guys could join me, Father God, um, we just come before you, and and God, I just I just want to pray for myself and um, for any others in the room, God, that you would um, help us understand that you are here, that you're in the middle. Of everything that we're doing that you are the host of this dinner that you are the host of the kitchen um, of the time that we have to see and know each other across the table from each other that you are in the middle of conversation that you are worthy of our worship and our praise that you are worthy of all our attention and our focus. So God, I pray that we would set our eyes and our hearts upon you. In fact, I'm just going to take a minute or so for us to just be quiet before the Lord and set our eyes on him. Yeah, Lord, I, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would be the central focus and that your heart would come through so clear with every word that is spoken. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in 1 John 3, it says this. It says, See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of god and that is what we are you know that is where we have been going in this series like that is the focus of where we've been going because that's where we see god's heart over each of the letters that were written to these different churches in the book of revelation We can see clearly God's correction, his protection, and the consequences for our actions. Because the word is very clear that there is always a consequence for our actions, just like in life. It's been interesting being a part of the after-school program that we launched a few weeks ago here, because we've been having conversations about these kiddos, you know, and it's like, Where's that combination of love and discipline? Because whenever I'm trying to walk alongside a parent with their kids, I'm always very clear that sometimes discipline is the most loving thing that you can give a child. Even if they kind of go like this a little bit, in the reality, that is where they feel safest. That is where they feel seen, and that is where they feel cared for is in the discipline. It's when they're allowed to run wild and rampant and do what they want. I remember Nate, our son, when he was 18, he's like, I'm 18, I do what I want. We're like, yeah, you think you do what you want, not under our roof, you know? So it's the discipline and the care meshed with the outstretched arms of the father ready to welcome us home that is so beautiful in these letters. Because God's correction always comes with a heart of redemption for a new start, a fresh beginning. And let's remember, his mercies are new what? Every morning. Every morning. That's our God. That's who he is. So if you've spent time reading the Bible or studying the Bible, you probably have at one time or another yourself grabbed hold of a favorite verse, right? And some people have what they call a life verse. That's the verse that they they go to when they're feeling pressed or stretched or anything. And I will tell you I have a couple of verses that mean a lot to me, but there is a verse that echoes through my mind and my heart, especially when I'm studying something or preparing for a message. And it is this one. It is Ecclesiastes one nine. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And as we've been going through these letters and reading what people were struggling with, what the churches were struggling with, besides the details that were partial to that day and time, it could be any person, any church today. And as we get ready to read the letter today, you will see that this topic is one that has been talked about in the world and in culture over and over. But it's not one that we tackle from the pulpit enough, in my opinion. So today, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it, and that topic is sex. I know that just by saying that word, (laughs) some people are squirming in their seat, And they're on edge. And you know why? Because we don't talk about it enough. That's why. People get giggly. They get uncomfortable. And parents, I promise you it's going to be PG. But it is going to be PG. Like, we're going to go there. Because it's important to God. So if it's important to God, it should be important to us. And in Revelation 1:3, it says this: It said, "Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near." So it says, "Blessed are those that read it, and blessed are those that hear it, and take it to heart." So I pray. You're going to hear it, and you're going to take it to heart. Because as we've been saying every week, those who have ears, let them hear. And in response, we have ears. Let us hear. So here we go. Revelation 2, 18 through 29. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So I'm going to stop there and I'm going to break some of that down. We're going to go slow through this because there's a lot. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus' eyes are like blazing fire. Fire can be immensely useful, and it can be warming, or it can be very destructive. Fire, when mentioned in the Bible, usually has the meaning of purifying and judgment. So this vision of Jesus, associated with this small-town church on the plains, with his eyes of fire, the Thyatirians... We're in a place of testing their purity of faith. And the eyes of Jesus see all and he knows all. They see all and he knows all. And we talked about this the first week. There's nothing that you do, say, or think that Jesus is not aware of. You guys, sometimes that makes us go, but really it should be the most comforting thing that we feel. He knows you better than anybody ever could. He sees all of you, just as he did the people that made up this community. So he is able to justly judge. And then it says Jesus' feet of burnished bronze. And this would also give a visual for this church because metal, particularly bronze, is made of intense heat. And when you add different alloys to make it strong, get this you guys, It represents the foundation and the strength that these believers needed to stand on to live in the middle of idolatry and remain untouched. God desires wholehearted people, all for Jesus, all the time. You guys, He is zealous for our wholeness. It's what he is after, to be uninjured, unimpaired, and undivided by sin. We pick it up again in verse 20, and it says this. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, according to your deeds. So let's start with the spirit Jezebel. This would have been a phrase that the people of this time would have immediately known. They would have recognized it and they would have been familiar with it. They would have understood the picture that was being painted. You see, Jezebel was a queen found in 1st and 2nd Kings and she was known for leading God's people away from God. And we talked about false teaching last week. That was the point of that message. And this is saying that there is someone, someone who calls herself a prophetess, who is leading God's people away from God, who is teaching sexual immorality is okay, and that idolatry is fine. But here is God, and it says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality. But she is unwilling. His heart, his mercy, shines through in this. It goes on to say that he will cast her and those that are with her on a bed of suffering unless they repent. And it also states he will strike her children dead. This Whether it's dead in reality, dead in sickness, dead in the middle of their sin, dead in their relationships, dead inside. You guys, the thing is, if you have sexual immorality in your life, you are leaving the enemy with a door wide open. Immorality in your life will have a negative impact not just on your life, but it will have ripple effects on everyone around you. The ripple is something most people never consider. You know why? Because the world will try and sell you a different story all day long. The, the stats prove it though. We're living in the most fatherless generation in history, where men are absent not for more, but have chosen to flee the family. Men are not alone in this, though. Many women have rekindled relationships online or walked out on their entire family believing that there's something better out there for them. Pornography is destroying marriages and homes and individuals. Our hookup Netflix and chill culture is leaving lives destroyed in its wake. But our world wants to blame everything except sexual immorality and the idolatry that comes with it and I'm not a person up here speaking from a life that has been purely and wholly lived I'm up here speaking as a person that has been injured because of choices that I've made and because of choices others have made that have been inflicted on me and my family. I have sat in the rubble of this more than one time. The mission statement of culture is do what you want. Your body is yours. Do what you want. We're sexual beings. It's harmful to deny yourself. Those arguments, they wear on us and they wear on us because they're telling us really what we want to believe, what our flesh wants to believe. Here's the thing. The fight we have going isn't what the world believes about sexuality, but what we, as followers of Jesus, believe about it. That's the fight inside of us. In 1 Corinthians, it's pretty clear because it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both. The body however, is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, the enemy will always try and sell us a shiny counterfeit version of what God has for us which is the greatest gift in the world but the enemy will shine it up and hold it out here and say, take it, it's not so bad. Move in together. You'll have a great future. Do this. Do that. It's yours. Do what you want. But in verse 18, it says flee from sexual immorality. Flee. That means run. Run. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You guys, when did we get to a place where we just ignore that the Holy of Holies is us? That God chose to reside in us It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We need to let God and not the body have the final say in what we do. Whenever you say no to you, You are saying yes to him. There's two examples of someone that says yes to himself in the Bible and someone that says yes to God. And there are incredible examples. King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. He loved God, and he sees a woman bathing on a roof, and he's not where he's supposed to be. And how many of us have been not where we're supposed to be, right? Whether it's online, or out with the buddies, or maybe out with the girls at the bar, or whatever the case may be. Who knows what your situation is, but you're not where you're supposed to be. And he sees this woman, and he says, you know what, I'm the king, I'll have her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have her. So he took her, she was married, she ends up pregnant. One sin, ripple effects guys, leads to another. What kind of sin? Murder of her husband. Because he's gotta cover up what he just did. And he doesn't even see it, you guys, and God loves David so much that he sends the prophet Nathan to paint a picture of what he's done. And David's eyes are open. He's like, oh my gosh. And the ripple effect, right? Bathsheba's child is struck dead. But God loves David so much. David repents. And he chooses... You guys, here's here's something we need to get. David chooses to not live in shame the rest of his life. He's like, "No, I've repented. God's forgiving me. I'm moving on." And he would have a son with Bathsheba that would be Solomon. He could have chosen to hide away in shame and guilt and kick himself forever. But he chose to turn and repent. But then on the other side, there's Joseph. Joseph, second in command in all of Egypt. And the man he's working for, his wife sets her sights on Joseph. And she's like, I'm going to have that man. And Joseph, what does Joseph do? He flees. He flees from the immorality. And she was probably beautiful, you guys. She was probably stunning. And he says no, and he runs. Does his life go perfect? It sure doesn't. He ends up in prison. You know, he goes through a lot. But do you know what it says continually? But God was with him. But God was with him. But God was with him. And then he would end up the Savior of his people, with God's blessing over his life. Joseph said no to himself. David said, I'm going to say yes to myself. We continue with the letter in verse 24, and it says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one, the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, even when there is the immoral and idolatrous influence of a Jezebel-type spirit, Christians, we can overcome and keep Jesus our focus to the end. That is possible for us. And are you ready for it? You guys, grab onto this because here is the good news. So I hope you are ready. When I was studying this, my heart was exploding out of my chest. It says, to him, I will give power over the nations. Jesus promised that his people will reign with him. Here, there is a special promise to those who overcome the threat of immorality and idolatry. To them, Jesus offered a share of his own kingdom. What? You Guys. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. This quotation from Psalm 2 speaks to the authority of the Messiah when he rules over the earth. Jesus includes this here to give hope to the faithful Christians of Thyatira who felt overwhelmed. Anybody here feel overwhelmed by culture in the world sometimes where you're just like, especially you guys, parents of young ones, I know, you're looking at the TV choices, the movie choices, the magazines on the racks. You're going, what are we even supposed to do? But he gives hope to those that are overwhelmed, to them. Jesus reminds them, you guys, you're on my winning team. You're on my winning team. The word for rule here in the Greek literally means to shepherd. Their rule will not simply be that of executing judgment, but also that of administering mercy and direction. And then hold on to your seat, because it says, I will give him the morning star. Jesus offered them a reward greater than the kingdom. He offered them the reward of himself. Because he is the morning star. There is no greater reward. What? God is intensely passionate about us being whole. For our sake, for Crystal's sake, and for the churches. For the whole church. If we only give part of ourselves to him, a part of us becomes hurting and diminished. And like a vine, if a branch isn't attached, it will die. And he wants it all, you guys. He wants our heart, mind, soul, and body. The early church gave themselves heart, mind, and soul, but were tempted by the current culture, which believed the body didn't matter. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. They were faithful in the big things, but let parts of themselves fall and let small temptations begin to eat them away from being holy and completely devoted to God. They needed each other to stand strong and be accountable for wholeness. You guys, we need each other just as badly. I don't know when we're going to get this all the way inside of us. But we don't put the family table up just for fun. Like, we mean it. We need each other. I need Lauren to hold me accountable. I need Suzanne asking me how my marriage is. We have got To get this, you guys, the Bible was not written for a person. It was written for the body. We're made for one another, one body. God jealously guards our wholeness, and we need to keep fighting for it too, both personally and corporately as his people. the sooner we grasp the fact and understand that God saves us. Listen, not just for heaven, but to free us today, here, now, on earth, that he is not some hate-filled ruler in the sky, but a grace-filled, mercy-giving, all-loving God. We then can take those desires because we've all got them. Desires in sexual nature, in food, in money, all those desires inside of us and recognize that our deepest desire is an arrow pointing straight toward God. And as that arrow travels closer and closer to the holy and the good, there is a change in the way we act With our bodies. There is a change in the way we think with our minds. There is a change in the way we speak with our mouths. There is a change in the way we spend from our accounts and our free time. There is a wholly transforming change that is real and it's not artificial because it comes from God. I'm going to invite Lauren up here. We're going to have a little bit of contemplative time before we move in to the next part of our service. But I read an interview with a gentleman named Robert Farr Capone. He was a priest, an author, a chef, and someone had asked him a question. And he responded to it this way. And he said, the point is that God gave permission. The cross itself is God's answer to that. If you sin, God isn't going to do anything to you except die for you. He's not going to bop you on the head. He's not going to belt you in the chops. It is not the role of the church to tell people not to sin, and to devise lists. The world perfectly knows what sin is. The world knows what morality is. The world knows what's right. What the world doesn't know is forgiveness. And that's what the world needs to be told. People confuse forgiveness with permission. But forgiveness is what you do with the impermissible. Life is full of the impermissible, and and that's what sin is. But God has died for us. He was buried, and he walked out of the grave. And he's coming again. Amen.